Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Baptist Church's podcast. For more information about the church, please visit our website at www.emmanuelmanning.com. Thanks and enjoy the sermon. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. While you're making your way there, we'll do a review. We're in a series called The Holy Spirit of God. The very first week we looked at this, we looked at the Holy Spirit as a person in the Godhead, that he has all the characteristics of a person, and that he is one of the triune God. Uh, The next week we looked at the Holy Spirit as a promised reality, what life was like with the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant, and the promises that were made concerning the New Covenant. Joel said things like, all your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams. Moses begged that all of God's people would have the Holy Spirit, and that was the hope. Week three, we said if that hope was going to be realized, then there had to be someone who successfully bore the Holy Spirit so that he could successfully give the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the Holy Spirit's role in the life, work, death, resurrection, and current reign of Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, And then last week, we, well, two weeks ago, excuse me, we looked at the Holy Spirit as the one who glorifies the Messiah in the church. And we began to talk at that point uh, about the way that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by revealing the glory of the gospel and also by making people like Jesus. And we touched at the end on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we said we're going to look more intently at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But before that, we looked last week at how to engage in theological debate. Well, this week, we're going to continue by looking at the gifts of the Spirit. Number one, introduction. And there'll be some stuff in here that is just important for us to know to set our expectation of what the gifts are for and what they're like. And so with that in mind, let's read together 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Follow along as I read 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and following. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit, excuse me, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he, that is the spirit, wills. So what we see by this passage is that when we have a gift of the spirit, 
Um, it is indeed a gift of the Spirit, and He is the one manifested for the common good when we exercise our gifts. Sam Storms wrote a book called The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, and listen to what he says. There's a crucial principle we need to understand from the outset. Spiritual gifts are not God bestowing to his people something external to himself. Spiritual gifts are not some tangible stuff or substance separable from God. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills, and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. Spiritual gifts must never be viewed deistically as if a God out there has sent something to us down here. Spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, human love. And I think that's a wonderful thing for us to concentrate on as we begin to think about the gifts of the Spirit. They're not something that God sort of sends. Uh, as we said in 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts are a manifestation of a, the Spirit. They're God's presence with us. When we are exercising our gifts, it's God here with us. When you exercise the gift of faith or when you have wisdom or um, prophesy or, or whatever it is, uh, as you exercise your gift, it's, it's God with us. And we need to understand that because I think we live a lot of our days feeling like God is distant out there and not realizing that he's made his promises to be very close to us. And because we don't believe it, we don't see it. So we're going to talk about spiritual gifts over the next couple of weeks. Um, and in case you came tonight thinking tonight's going to be the controversial night, I, I hate to punt it again next week, but I felt like we needed to think about theological debate last week, and we just need a general introduction to the gifts this week. Uh, and so let's do that. Let's first of all talk about definitions. Don't you love definitions? Definitions are good. Um, well, we call these things spiritual gifts, but what does the Bible call them? Well, there are four Greek words commonly used in the New Testament to refer to spiritual gifts. And as we look at each one individually, we'll sort of reveal the full meaning of the concept. The first Greek word used to describe spiritual gifts is the word charisma. Now, does that sound like any word you know? Yeah, it's where we get that word charismatic. It's the most familiar term used by Paul. Uh, for spiritual gifts. In its plural form, charismata, it is the word from which we derive charismatic. Charisma doesn't refer to some guy who can work a room. I wish that somehow it did. I would be praying for that gift. Charisma refers to a gracious work of God or something God's grace has bestowed. It comes from the, the word uh, charis, charis, grace. So charisma is a gift of charis, a gift of grace. For example, eternal life is called a charisma, as is deliverance from physical death. Believe it or not, even celibacy is a gift. Uh, but if you'll notice, especially these verses down here, it's the spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, that are gifts. So when we think about the spiritual gifts, the first thing we need to understand is they're 
There's something that we have because God is gracious and good to us. They're a gift from him. How often do we take God's gifts and make them controversial? I don't know why we have such a tendency to do that. But one of the first things I want you to think of as we think about spiritual gifts, wherever we or you might land, to remember that they're a gift of God. Second, here's a nice word, pneumaticon. Now, I know you know a word that comes from this. What word comes from that? Pneumonia, right? So this is the word for spirit, uh, breath, moving air in the New Testament. A pneumaticon, uh, what this word means when it's describing gifts, and it's used there in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, uh, the spiritual things, now concerning spiritual things, concerning the pneumaticon. And what this word means is that these gifts are a result of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So they're a gift of God. They're a result of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. This is really important for us to know um, because it means that if our spiritual gifts are effective, it's because the Holy Spirit is working. You, you'll agree with me that when Paul wrote his letters or when he preached, um, he was using his gift, right? of apostleship, his gift of preaching, and all this kind of stuff. But even Paul himself says, you know, I really only water and other people plant the seed. Who is it that gives the growth? It's God. And so when we talk about this being something spiritual, we mean that it relies upon the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I say, I've said this before, but it's worth remembering. I think if I like worked really hard and did my best and crafted every word in a sermon, I could probably change somebody's mind about something for about two weeks. But if there's going to be any spiritual good, eternal benefit, it's not because I put my all into it. It's because the Spirit empowers it, right? Uh, which is a wonderfully freeing thing as a pastor. It's awful when I feel the weight of having to convince people to do anything. My job is just to do my job, and the Spirit's job is to awaken the dead. I can't even awaken the sleeping on Sunday morning. The pneumaticon means this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Third, uh, diaconia. Do you hear a word you might know in that? I named Boyle after this word. Yeah, it's deacon. And what do deacons do? They serve. And so this word, uh, diaconia, means this. It means that these gifts are not for personal adornment, status, power, or popularity. The Spirit graces you with these things, and he empowers these things so that you might serve other people. It is amazing and amazingly sad how often we take the gifts of God and use them for our own agendas and our own purposes. We're the hero of all of our own stories. Uh, the effectiveness of something that we do, usually in our minds, is completely measured by how people respond to us instead of by how they respond to Jesus, right? My job as a pastor is not to necessarily connect anybody with me or my ministry. It's to connect people with Jesus and how often I fail in that endeavor, how often we all fail. The fact that these gifts are called deacons means that they're intended 
for service. They're meant to do good for others. They're others-centered. In 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, this verb form is used of serving one another. It's often translated ministries. And it points to the purpose of these spiritual gifts. It's not for you. Intergamma, what, what uh, word do you hear in that? Energy. Spiritual gifts are also described by the term intergamma, uh, effects or working in the NIV. It points to Paul's emphasis on gifts as the effect or fruit or product of divine power. What we see then is gifts, the spiritual gifts, are the concrete operations of divine energy through individual Believers, when we are exercising our gifts, we're being a channel through which God himself works. And just think about that for a moment, that God's way of working in an overwhelmingly normal way, he has chosen to work through people. Now, we usually celebrate and bring up into the pulpit and have people give testimonies about God's direct intervention. And that seems to me to sell short God's normal way of working. God's normal way of working is not to write messages in the sky. It's to normally encourage your heart through other believers. It's to encourage your faith through other believers. God wants to work through us. So if we put these four ideas together, here's what Sam Storm says. When we put these words together, we discover that all spiritual gifts are acts of service or ministry which are produced through us by the triune God. In light of this, we may define a spiritual gift as a God-given and therefore gracious capacity to serve the body of Christ. It's a divinely empowered or spiritually energized potential to minister to the body of Christ by communicating the knowledge, power, and love of Jesus. Your spiritual gifts are intended to serve the church. Let's ask some questions about these spiritual gifts, shall we? We've looked at definitions. The the question, are some of them non-operative now, comes next week. Let's deal with some other questions first. Are spiritual gifts a permanent fixture in the church? I don't know about you, but my first impulse would be to say yes. But it's no. They're not a permanent fixture in the church. Why? So often in the New Testament, the ending of spiritual gifts is tied to the return of Jesus. And the reason they're not permanent is because at some point their purpose will be laid aside. So in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, Paul says to this church, So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it's tying the idea of our gifts Uh, as being in operation until Jesus is revealed. Why? Listen to what Ephesians 4 says. He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he gave apostles... Did I copy that? Why does that happen? Anyway. That is 
a repeat. That's also confusing. What does it say he gave gifts for? And gifts here are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. When are we going to attain the unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God? When are we going to attain full maturity and reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? When, when Jesus returns. And so when Jesus returns, he will in one moment, by the power of that power that he has to subject everything to himself, Paul says, he will in a moment make us exactly like him, and therefore we won't need gifts anymore to build one another up. So while we're here waiting on Jesus to return, Jesus has given us gifts so that we can help each other grow into Christ's likeness, and we won't reach full maturity, but we'll grow and grow and grow and grow, and then when Jesus returns in a split second, He'll make us just like him. First Corinthians 14, 12. So with you, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's that same idea again. There's gonna come a day when the church, as the church seeking to attain the fullness of the stature of Jesus, will, will no longer need any building. When he returns, 1 John 3 says that when we see him, we will be like him. And so at that point, um, the spiritual gifts will fall away. But even though they're only temporary, what they do is they serve as a foretaste of things to come. Listen to what Wayne Grudem says. Gifts of insight and discernment, which we have now to help build up the church, prefigure the much greater discernment we will have when Christ returns. Gifts of knowledge and wisdom prefigure the much greater wisdom that will be ours. Gifts of healing give a foretaste of the perfect health that will be ours when Christ grants to us resurrection bodies. Similar parallels can be found with all the New Testament gifts. So while they are temporary, they serve an eternal function. They point forward to something that we'll all have because... Right now, what we have is a down payment of the Holy Spirit, don't we? Earnest money. And when Jesus returns, we'll experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I can only think what that means is that when Jesus returns, you'll have every spiritual gift in full measure. And so for now, they point forward. Do you have insight and discernment? Then you point forward to what we all will have one day. And so the gifts of the Spirit are eternal, related to the church. Are the gifts a permanent fixture in the lifetime of believers? So we see now they're temporary in terms of the church, the whole church. But what about the life of a believer? Do you have like one gift and that's it? Or do you have set gifts when you get saved and that's it? Or is there a possibility for more or... Uh, do you lose some? Well, y'all with me? Okay. Thanks, Miss Kathy. Um, in most cases, it seems that the New Testament pictures a permanent possession of spiritual gifts. There's not a Loctite case on this. It just kind of points that way. For instance, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses the metaphor of body parts 
for gifts. Now, it seems to me, I don't know about you, but my finger doesn't like leave here and crawl up and turn into an eyeball, right? And I, I don't want to press the metaphor too far, but it just seems to me if you're an eye, you're an eye, right? And so maybe that metaphor, if I'm not stretching it too far, says, yeah, these, you, you kind of are what you are. In some cases, but again, that's not Loctite. In some cases, gifts are tied to offices. So pastors have certain gifts, evangelists have certain gifts, and if you have that office your whole life, which, uh, you know, if you're called to be an elder, you're, you're an elder until you disqualify yourself or die. Uh, and so as long as you have the pastoral office, you probably have the pastoral gifts. Or just the way that Paul tends to talk about gifts anyway. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, these words, And if I am having prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. The way the tenses of verbs in the New Testament work, it seems to be their general assumption that you are having the gifts that you have. But, And this is what Grudem says. Therefore, it seems that in general, the New Testament indicates that people have spiritual gifts given to them, and once they have them, they are usually able to continue over the course of their Christian life. That being said, the Bible also gives us some interesting verses. We know that there are special spiritual empowerments in particular moments in the Bible. For instance, Samson. How does Samson die? He gets an, a, a temporary empowerment to kill all them bad guys, right? Uh, and that's a temporary thing at the end of his life. And you can say that's Old Testament. Yeah, it is Old Testament, but there's some continuation here. Uh, in Acts 7, Stephen, as he's being stoned, gets a special revelatory moment, doesn't he? So we could make an argument that there are some things for special moments. Plus, at least our gifts are non-permanent if we neglect them. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.6 to Timothy. He says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so Paul there is telling Timothy that, the ember of his gift is about to go out, and so what does he need to do? Right? He needs to break it. What do you call that thing you pump with? Billows. Um, and you need to fan that thing back into flame, which would indicate to me that if Timothy didn't do that, what would happen to the gift that was given him through the laying on of hands by the elders? It would extinguish. And so... It, they're at least not permanent in the sense that if you don't stoke them, they go away, which is interesting. Because if you can fan them into flame, does that mean that you can increase the capacity of your spiritual gift? An interesting question. Furthermore, Paul tells us to pursue gifts doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians 14, 
One, Paul is looking at Christians who he has already said have a spiritual gift. And he says, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And so Paul there, and we'll define what prophecy is in the next couple of weeks. But Paul there is looking at Christians who have spiritual gifts, and he says, you really should want some different, a different spiritual gift. You should want the greater spiritual gifts. And so if Paul can say that to these Corinthians, uh, then it seems to me not completely out of bounds that we may say, well, uh, it seems beyond doubt that the Spirit is sovereign, right? It says he gives gifts to whom he will, but if they're gifts of a person, then we can pray for gifts from that person, can't we? And so, generally speaking, the gift that you have is the gift that you have, but it seems like you can both lose the fire of it and desire other gifts. How do we know what our spiritual gifts, gift is, gifts are? A good question. The authors of Scripture seem to assume you will know. There's no, like, there's no appendix to Acts that has a spiritual gifts test on it, right? I'm not against spiritual gifts tests, but just to say, it's not there. What does Paul say to these Romans? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them in prophecy, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul doesn't say, figure out what your gift is. He just kind of goes, all right, if you're a prophet, you need to prophesy. If you have the gift of uh, generosity, then make sure you, you act it out. If you are, have, you're gifted at mercy, then make sure you do that with cheerfulness. If you're gifted as a teacher, make sure you do your teaching. What's interesting in this verse is this. These gifts are exercised in proportion to our faith. So what that seems to indicate to me is some people have stronger gifts than others who may have the same gift. In other words, God gives not only the gift that you have, he gives as much of the gift as you have. That doesn't relieve us from all obligation to try and fan that thing into flame, but the Lord is specific in, in what he gives to people. And here Paul assumes you know what your gift is. 1 Peter 4.10, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks the oracle of God. So he does the same thing, doesn't he? He's like, if you're a speaker, speak as if you're speaking the oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So spiritual gifts are amazing things. It's the presence of God within us to work through us that God the Father might be glorified through Jesus Christ and the church might be served. Is it possible that we're not paying enough attention to these things? In the spirit of only speaking for about 25 minutes, let's move on to the application. Four things I want you to remember as we 
Look to wrap this up. Number one, be active with your... Wait. I've got more. So they assume... I had it big. I didn't have it small, so I didn't see my notes. I was like, there was something else. I'll cut all this off the tape. Um, I do that. I cut out some ums every week. And if I say something really stupid, it doesn't go out to the world. Um, is that vanity or is that love? I ride the edge of that all the time. All this is cut. Don't worry. All of it's gone. Um, so Paul and Peter assume that you have a gift, that you know what it is. But what if you don't know what your gift is? What if you don't know? Uh, I won't do a show of hands, but if I were to say, how many of you know your spiritual gift? Maybe some of you would raise your hands. Maybe some of you would be like, I had never even heard of a spiritual gift. Well, how can you figure it out? Well, ask yourself four questions. All right, here's the four questions. Number one, what natural abilities do you have? And you're like, Drew, wait. These are spiritual gifts. You just said that it's not about what you do, it's about what God, yeah, yeah, you're right. Any spiritual good that comes from a spiritual gift is as a result of the Spirit's work. But the Creator God and the Redeemer God are the same God, right? And if God created you with natural capacities, it seems like, and that, by the way, I stole that from my favorite professor at CIU, Cliff Fidel. Uh, the creator God is the redeemer God. It, it seems he might work those two things in tandem. So ask yourself this question. What natural abilities do you have? Are you a natural speaker? Do you just, like my son Deacon. I didn't know this when we gave birth to the kid. And by we, I mean Christina. Um, we named him Deacon because I wanted him to be a servant. And I don't know if that name is just mate, but that boy, doesn't he, Christina? He, he just serves. He looks for what, and he may be awful at your house when he's over. I don't know. Uh, but all my children are perfect. No. Um, but he, if he sees you have a need, he just, he just goes. He, he does it. It's, it's really touching. Um, it's why he's my favorite, and that won't make it on the tape either. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm joking. Uh, bless. But what? So he's, he's a natural server. So maybe his gifts will be, uh, you know, gifts of mercy. He can't be a pastor because he wants to have Pastor Deacon. Um, <laughs> secondly, uh, what interests do you have? What interests do you have? Like for me, the call to ministry that I had was not Drew. Thou shalt be a pastor. The call to ministry that I had was just a, a birth within me of an insatiable desire to understand and explain the Bible. And to this day, as exhausted as I can get sometimes, it only takes about 15 seconds of looking at the Bible and I'm just back at it. Back at it. So what interest do you have? Um, you know, Paul talks about gifts of administration. Do you love systems 
And do you love it when things work? And do you love it when things are put in place so that good things are maintained and there's a hedge against things that would disrupt? Like, that's a spiritual gift. Somebody asked me today, if I could, if we just had the funds to hire another pastor and I could hire anybody I wanted, what would your first hire be without a split second, an administrative pastor? Because Emmanuel is kind of good at starting stuff and terrible at keeping stuff up. I get some head shakes. And you know what? I'm decent at starting stuff and terrible at keeping stuff up. So we need somebody who's really good at keeping stuff up because that would serve the church as much as what I'm doing right now. I do believe that. What interests do you have? So what abilities do you have? What interests do you have? Thirdly, what advice do you receive? Have you talked to anybody and said, you know me fairly well. What do you think my spiritual gift is? With many counselors is wisdom. Fourth question. What does God bless when you do it? Like when you give money, does it just get back to you that the, the Lord used that so that that was just what was needed, just at the right time, uh, in just a way that when that person got it, they, they may or may not have known you gave it, but it was from God to them. That's God blessing you doing something. That may be an indication that generosity is your gift. Or when you serve people. Or when you express your belief in God. Does God use that gift of faith? Because that's what it is. It's different than the gift of faith that we all get. The, 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 the gift of faith, I think, is a gift to believe God for really big things. My father-in-law has that. Um, my grandfather-in-law had the gift of faith just a real confidence that God was going to do great things and whenever I'm around my father-in-law uh, I just want to believe God for more things God's blessing what he does and so what abilities do you have what interests do you have what advice do you receive what does God bless when you do it if you still don't know I don't know Drew Try ministering in various contexts. Try doing different things. Try giving. Try uh, sharing the gospel. Try teaching a class. Uh, try giving administrative advice to a poor pastor. Try, you know, try. Or better yet, just take an administrative task off of a pastor. Say, you know what? I'll do that. You know what I'd say? Right? Try ministering in various contexts. And the Lord and his church will uh, lead you there. When someone says, I feel called to the ministry, there's two things I, I always ask. Uh, how has God called you to the ministry? And then is there anybody else in your life who agrees with you? And a lot of people have the first and they don't have the second. And it's like, we'll go do something until somebody else says to you, I think you should consider preaching. Because um, you need that internal and that external call. We all need that with our gifts in one way or another. So try ministering in various contexts. And listen to me, don't try ministering in various contexts just to find your gift. Try ministering in various contexts because that's what God commands. And it's the way that he blesses people and 
grants a sense of his presence to his church. How little do we experience God's powerful presence among us because so many of us sit on our hands with our gifts. It's interesting when you when you try to uh, apply for a job at, at a church. You know, we're we're taking the resumes. I'm talking to people about a part-time pastoral assistant position, and you get resumes, and you make phone calls, and you you do all this stuff. It's amazing when you when churches are looking for a pastor. What they're looking for in reality is a Messiah. Somebody who can come in and do everything, and all the burden is on him. Well, the pastor needs to grow the church, and the pastor needs, just like one man, one gift among many. One man, one gift among many. We all have to be doing our part for the body to grow. Well, how do we apply this? Number one, be active with your spiritual gift. I love this. It's, a, it's that same interplay that we have between our responsibility and God's sovereignty. Yes, he apportions them as he will. None of us has all of them, right? Uh, and so we have what we have, and we have the amount that we have by God's grace. But God is a person, and so we can fan that gift into flame, and we can pray more power into it. Be active with your spiritual gift. You are meant to be a blessing you're meant, listen, to be a creator and not a consumer. I'm, I'm listening to a book right now, and a guy named Alan Hirsch said this. Jesus didn't want 1,200 consumers, but he changed the world with 12 creators. What are you doing? Third, remember that the goal of spiritual gifts is Jesus' glory and the good of others. This is the way that you can genuinely do people good. But if you smuggle in a desire for your own recognition and glory, we, we don't do anybody any good. So the goal of spiritual gifts is Jesus' glory and the good of others. And the more that we grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is and how glorious he is, it becomes a joy to forget ourselves. Tim Keller wrote a book called The Joy of Self-Forgetfulness. That's a good book to read, and it's short. Third, this is big. Remember that giftedness and being qualified slash mature are different things. Giftedness and maturity and giftedness and being qualified are different things. There are people who are really, really gifted, who are really, really immature. And there are people who are really, really gifted, who are really, really not qualified. And it's amazing how you can see that sometimes as a pastor. You see somebody exercising their gift, and they're such a blessing. And then you look at their life, and it is so different. So much so as to be disqualifying. And being gifted doesn't mean mature. I have a, I, I have a, I have a, what I like to say, I have a lot of RAM, uh, random access memory. 
I can read a couple of books and those books just get locked in, right? And then I can quote them and remember what they said and process and do other stuff. And that's a blessing from God. Is that the same thing as seeping and soaking in the word? It's not. One is wisdom and maturity and qualification and the other is just a gift that I did not earn or that I was given. And so giftedness and maturity are different things. And there, in many, many churches across our land, are a lot of really gifted people who are constantly frustrated because they feel like they're not being used as they should. Maybe they should look at their maturity and their qualification level. Number four. Remember that love is the key in all things. And we'll get to this later uh, when we look at tongues and all these kind of things. We always read 1 Corinthians 13 at wedding ceremonies, don't we? And it's a great passage to read at wedding ceremonies. Here's the only problem. It's not about the love between a man and a wife. It, it certainly can be. It's about love, so yes, it is about that. But it's immediate context. 1 Corinthians 12 is about gifts of prophecy in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 is about gifts of prophecy in tongues. And 1 Corinthians 13 comes there. And so what's the point of that? The love passage is not something that a husband should give his wife uh, on a... I mean, it's fine, but you understand what I'm saying. Its initial thing is not love between man and woman. It's love in the exercise of your gifts in the context of the local church. That's what the love chapter is about. Love is patient. Therefore, when I want to demand to use my gifts and I can't, I'm patient. Love is kind. When I think my gift is better and more important than yours. Love does not boast. This is about serving others and about serving Jesus. That's why Paul says, if I have the gift of faith so as to move mountains, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. If I have knowledge of all mysteries and I'm just a sounding gong and a clanging symbol, Paul is talking about the exercise of gifts in the context of love, which is why next week, Lord willing, when we get to tongues and prophecy, one of the things that makes that whole issue so difficult is that people who don't believe in it are unloving and people who practice it are unloving. And if we worked on 1 Corinthians 13 a little bit more together as a body of believers, maybe 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 will kind of line up a little better for us. So remember that love is the key in all things. Being thoughtful, patient, kind, bearing. Love believes all. It's not cynical. So when somebody speaks in tongues in a church context, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, my first thought should not be that liar. They're making it up. Right? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. I hope that's of the Lord. Because if it's of the Lord, then it's a gift to me. You see? Love is the key in spiritual gifts. Because, of course, the reason we have spiritual gifts is because of Jesus. And Jesus is characterized by what? Love. And he fulfilled the law. And the law is love your neighbor, love God. Love is the key in all things. And in love he gave himself, not only so that our sins could be removed, but so that we could be useful in people's lives 
and a, a, a medium of God's grace as we exercise our spiritual gifts. Love is the key. Let's pray. Father, help us to glory in Jesus, to put no confidence in the flesh, to fan into flame and be active with our spiritual gifts, to pray for the kind of gifts that we're supposed to pray for. That's difficult, Lord. Help us to, to obey and in all those things to let love be the guide. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.